welcome to the Seventh Art Cinema Podcast. My name is Pavan Mindy, one of the producers of the Seventh Art, and I'm joined by Christopher Heron, uh, the host of the Seventh Art and a producer as well. In this podcast, Chris, we have Rachel Grady, uh, director, co-director or director, co-director, co-director of uh, Detropia. This was a profile released in issue number six, eight, eight. Of, Just uh, lost track of how many months you've devoted to this project. Right. Uh, so it was uh, a profile that we shot. Did we shoot this at uh, Bloor Hot Dogs Cinema? Yeah. Uh, right. So I I wasn't present for this one. No, you were. I was. Yeah. You set no, up I set the, it up and yeah. I had to leave. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I set it up and I had to leave. I wasn't really present for it. But you've watched it since. Of, of course. So Chris, have you ever been to uh, Detroit? No. Um, curiously enough, we are recording this intro the day after it has formally declared bankruptcy. Right. So uh, very timely uh, intro anyway uh, for this. Uh, it's funny. It's funny because um, when Rachel came to show Detropia, I was doing it. She was doing a little bit of a roadhouse release. It was going from town to town. She was doing some intros. I was talking to her about how at that very moment they were filming the RoboCop uh, remake in Toronto as opposed to Detroit. So the the film that is completely about Detroit, uh, beginning with Detroit going bankrupt and being bought by a multinational corporation, which we're waiting to see if that happens, um, was not, it was also fleeing, fleeing the city. When was the last time you watched RoboCop? A few years ago, I'm looking to my shelf I have the Criterion Collection edition. Really? Will you see the new one? I don't know. I, I'm not really excited to. Anyway, so um, we had Rachel Grady for only a little bit of a time, so that's why we called it a um, a profile. We discussed Detropia exclusively, but of course, Rachel has co-directed a number of uh, well-known documentaries with her directing partner, Jesus Heidi. Camp, right? yeah, Heidi Ewing's her, her directing partner, and, and they've directed Jesus Camp, uh, The Boys of Baraka, Twelfth um, in Delaware, and uh, this was this was long in the making. It was something that was close to uh, Rachel's own life, and it's interesting that we were just talking about one film. It's about half an hour long, and I feel like we could really go in depth on it, discussing some things that maybe even we wouldn't if it was about her entire career. For instance, the uh, influence of um, Altman on the construction of the film. Uh, it, it's a good interview, especially if you've seen the film and want to get a little insight into some of the um, artistic decisions, not just the story, but some of the, the decisions she makes as a co-director. Right, and where can people find the film, Chris? The film? Uh, I don't know, I probably VOD, Netflix, yeah, yeah. Users, it's on Netflix. In, I don't know, but it's aspect ratio. Maybe it's not in its correct aspect ratio. But right. uh, you can also watch this interview at uh, the7thart.org. That's the7thart spelled out, .org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and uh, Facebook at the7thart. With, that's with a number seven. On Twitter, yeah, we are. On Twitter. All right, uh, enjoy, enjoy the interview.
so we're speeding? Everything good? All right. Um, I think a good place to start is how you approached uh, Detroit as a visual space and mm -hmm. kind of the process of representing something like a city. Mm -hmm. Because the film strikes me as maybe having the least amount of dialogue of all of the films you've worked on. That is true. I mean, it's um, the sound design and the music were an especially important layer for this film because one of the many things about Detroit that's unusual for a city is that it's extremely quiet. Um, you know, as you know, there's not a lot of people there. There's not a lot of police. There's not a lot of ambulances. And they have a lot of services that aren't available. And, um, you know, the wildlife has kind of started to take back over the city. So one of the results of that is that it is quiet. So that was actually something that we wanted to enhance. Um, and we thought about when we were filming because it's, it's just it's so unusual um, for a metropolis to be like that. Um, so sound was a big part of it, but also visually it is, um, it's extremely unique. I think that's why people have been photographing it like crazy lately. There's all these other films about it. People seem to be obsessed with it. And that is because um, it is incredibly unusual um, and distinct. So we, um, you know, you can't help but film in a certain way, actually. I mean, it's, it, it begs to be sort of studied and examined. And on top of it, it ended up being kind of like a love letter. So we filmed it through that lens as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a, a huge departure for us as filmmakers, visually, um, soundscape, um, structurally, everything about it, but you know, visually really stands out as, as a total departure for us. And you kind of obviously want to avoid the fetishization of decay that kind of uh, defines those photography mm -hmm. f photo essays you're, you're mentioning. And I think that that is clearest kind of at the end when you have this space that would otherwise be shot empty, but you have someone singing in right. it. So I'm, I'm wondering how you kind of avoided that obstacle. Right. Well, I could see it, well, how it would be very tempting to fetishize it because yeah. it's startling and you can't keep your eyes off yeah. of it. But we did want to maintain some respect, um, and we thought that one way of, you know, mitigating this temptation to just, you know, to be spectators, is to um, put the city in context to its citizens. So, for instance, when we're going to explore an empty building, which you know you would want to creep around and check it out, we do it with Crystal Star, who is a resident there and does it you know, every day and is uh, extremely curious sort of a modern archaeologist. Um, and w when we went into the train station, which is this iconic, um, empty structure now, um, skeleton of this incredible, you know, arche archaeological sort of masterpiece, um, we filmed Noah Stewart, who's this incredible tenor, wanted to go and sing and check out the acoust acoustics. So again, we, we wanted it to sort of feel like there was life there. Um, so these were things we kept in mind that, you know, we didn't want to just, you know, kind of fall into the trap of, of capturing what is being called rune porn um, and to, you know, to make sure that the city was, was um, given some dignity. The concept of kind of opera and even soul music as a counterpoint is also interesting because it's something that is so 
tied up in class and, and race mm -hmm. and kind of the segregation or segmentation, I would even say, mm -hmm. that exists. Uh, what, what were you uh, hoping to achieve by using this motif throughout? Mm -hmm. Well, there was a lot of things that we had in mind, you know, thinking about the opera and thinking about the um, sort of natural music that came from the Raven Blues Club. Um, uh, it was, it, there's so many things. I mean, first and foremost, Heidi, my co-director, uh, is from the area and has gone to that opera house her whole life. She's a huge opera fan. And um, she, for her, opera is actually a really big part of Detroit, which I think is very unusual, you know, a surprising um, position for people not from the city. So, um, you know, we like anything that's unexpected. So first and foremost, unexpected. But then also there's sort of this metaphor of Detroit being this operatic place, rise and fall, and rise again, and sort of, you know, this very classic um, story that might end up being a redemption story. Or, so it's, there's something very operatic about it. But also, um, the audience that goes to see the opera are the affluent white suburban people that come into the city to enjoy the city. So we want, definitely wanted to include that population. We couldn't really do it overtly. We did it in this very seamless way, hopefully, um, because um, you know we didn't want to just insert this, but we did think it was important for that sort of information mm. to be revealed. Um, but what an incredible thing about cities is that there is all this influence, you know, this dif from different. Um, you know, economic class structures, and I mean that is what makes a city vibrant, mm. is this melting pot. So we loved the idea of, of intermingling these this, these genres that are so you know that are surprising, but you know, inadvertently end up being you know I interacting with each other in all cities. Mm. And those, those two different registers is also something that happens with the concept of representation because it seems like there's multiple layers of you documenting other people kind of documenting or assessing the city. So you have like the uh, photographers from Switzerland, you have the news crew that's uh, photo photographing the uh, destruction of a building, you have Crystal. the mate, yeah, you have Crystal's vlogs, you have the mayor's kind of think tank of mm -hmm. what we're going to do and there's also even the archive footage that you can inject mm -hmm. as well. So it tends to drift back about how the city gets represented. And I was mm -hmm. wondering what your thoughts were on, on those observations. Well, that's an interesting observation. I hadn't really thought about all of them. I definitely had thought about the fact that we're filming someone filming. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I guess what we're hoping to do is represent the city uh, on its own terms mm -hmm. and the way that we attempted to do that is to film people that could leave that were lifelong Detroiters and that love their city and were tied to it for different reasons mostly because they love it um, and we felt like if we were able to show the city through their eyes we could show you know the flaws and the problems and this and the struggle but we could also show the beauty and the love mm -hmm. for this place um, I think part of what we were feeling before we started the film is that a lot of these uh, representations of the city that we've seen over the last four or five years um, don't have people in them. They're empty. They're empty structures. And there's, you know, 713,000 people there. There's a lot of people there. 
and it's not evident at all in sort of the way it's been represented. So um, we definitely wanted people to understand that this is a place that's been, that feels abandoned, mm. you know, that, that feels, you know, echoey and empty, mm -hmm. but in fact is filled with life and there's life everywhere in pockets. So um, it's, you need to, you know, acknowledge that there's humans that are, that are interacting with this place and that it's very much alive. And the question of kind of bringing everyone into the center is, is something that when you don't have a narrator, you never have, you don't really kind of intervene ever. And what a viewer becomes aware of is how this kind of information is, there's a failure to communicate it mm -hmm. to everyone. Like you see all of the different people reacting to what should just be a simple point, but seeing how it kind of breaks down. You're talking about the community yeah, meeting. Yeah, well I would even say the porch meeting as well, like oh, the right. informal yeah, 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 it's true <laughs> yeah. that it's like, um, uh, yeah, there's not this consensus or this, you know, it's true that the pool of information is sort of dissipated. And, um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of how the city is, actually. Um, there's, it's, there's not, there's not straight lines of communication, there's mm. not a sense that people kind of have to do, everybody has to do something out of the ordinary mm. to fix the situation. Status quo is just making it worse and worse. And um, yeah, I think that, but that what you picked up on was a failure of the, um, you know, of the city government to really explain that they don't have any options. That this wasn't, that there's nothing else they can do besides shrink the city and try these extremely innovative and unusual measures to get the city on its feet. Um, but uh, interesting, yeah, I had an, I, you're, you're, uh, this is the great thing about sharing a film is that you get to, um, you get to actually, your point of view gets wider and wider yeah. as people give you theirs. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's been, there's been a failure of community in Detroit for a long time, and I think that we're seeing the consequence of that. And one way that's conveyed in the film is the structure, which is interesting because it's kind of like a, a network narrative. It's almost like an Robert or like an Altman film mm -hmm. where uh, you have all of these different people that are seemingly sharing a space, but they're really not. They're kind of segregated. And right. I'm wondering w how you kind of came across that structure. That's so funny that you know he was in a. Um, Robert Altman was definitely an influence oh, really? for making this film. Yeah, we were talking, um, we call them Altman moments. <laughs> we talked about it the whole time. It's funny the way that you um, analyze that is opposite of how I kind of see it, which is that there's all of these strangers living in this place um, that actually are very much connected with each other and don't know the other exists. Mm. And you know, the guy that runs the opera house and those guys on the porch, they have a lot in common. So, and you would never think that they had, they're in different worlds, yeah. but because they both live in this complicated, you know, challenging place, they have infinitely more things in common than they don't. So it is actually something that could bring this community together in a really unusual and incredible way. And I've read that they've seen, like the, the people who participate in the film have seen the film, mm -hmm. and have they become more aware because of it that, that this, these other pockets exist? I think um, surely the people in our film have, you mm. know, the, the handful of people. But what's been really interesting is showing the film in Detroit and in the suburbs of Detroit and in Ann Arbor across the state of Michigan. Um, 
from the screenings that we've been in, very interesting dialogue has, you know, come out of it, as well as audiences that are very diverse. And um, Detroit happens to be a city that has suffered from uh, incredibly bad racial divisions, mm. um, which is, you know, common throughout the U.S., but it has a, in an incredibly entrenched and um, just, uh, it's worse. Mm. It's worse there. And um, to get, gross, um, to get a group of um, people from all different races and classes in the same room in Detroit is not very common. So, um, the very least, we've you know accomplished that with this film to get people kind of in the same room thinking about these things and creating some awareness. And it's interesting the way that that could also apply to what seemed to be a, m a motif with birds and, and dogs, like mm -hmm. the two, like the stray dog and the kind of migratory bird, because right. it could mean two things. It can of course be the white migration out, but it could uh -huh. also be what the artists seem to do, which is see this freedom within right. Detroit and the, the opportunities it affords them. Right. Well, it's true. Detroit has that sort of duality, which is that, um, you know, people are either running towards it or running away from it. No one seems to be walking in either direction. So um, it's a very extreme place. And I think that's why a lot of people are looking at it now and paying attention to it. Because it's kind of like, as the trick goes, maybe so goes the nation. Mm. So um, it's definitely sort of a barometer. And um, hopefully, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so gross. Um, <laughs> hopefully um, is something that people uh, take very seriously mm. when they're looking at it. I think, actually, America is starting to look at Michigan mm. in general, you know, the state of Michigan, as something that they should pay very, very close attention to, especially the people on the coasts who I think have been able to um, ignore, basically, the death of manufacturing in this country because it doesn't directly affect them in a way that they can see, but it turns out that it does affect them. Mm. It is the, you know, it is the um, uh, heart of our of our economy, in the United States, which has been, you know, shattered. Mm. So um, I think that there is a ripple effect. People are starting to really get it, what it means. And there is this undercurrent of a kind of self-perception about America in in the film, and I, it comes up with the the various archival footage that represent Detroit specifically, mm -hmm. but also. The radio show, I believe, or something, where they're discussing the how, in looking to other countries for the first time as like a model, and realizing that you have to work every day. And one line that, like, struck me was the whole "we can't keep our heads in the sand," uh -huh. right? So, and also the artists having to work, like, they want to work every day. Right. The other problem is people who can't work every day. Right. So, how does the film kind of fit into this? What Identity. seems to be a, chef, a shifting self-perception. Like, right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that this film is in some ways an identity film. Um, Detroit is linked with this concept of the American dream. Mm. And the American dream means a lot of things to Americans, but also to the rest of the world. That's why immigrants come to America from everywhere, because there is this thing called the American dream, where if you work hard, you get the car, you get the house, you get the, you get the education, and, um, you know, you, you get to have a certain quality of life. Um, but the question was, was this particular 
definition of the dream, was it sustainable? Did we create a sustainable system? Um, and I think as a lot of Americans are slipping into the working poor, there's, it's starting to feel like it wasn't sustainable. And what can we do to re, you know, reimagine um, how we can make it something that can work for a lot longer than 100 years? And there, in, in some of those archival things, it's about the future, but this is a film that kind of resists looking ahead and is more kind of dealing with the present, it seems. Right. Well, you know, this film is, we thought this was a film, going to be a film about the future. That's, you know, okay. we, we did. We, we, um, we went to Detroit with this idea that it was about, um, we had a different title for it. It was called Detroit Hustles Harder. It was a film about all these incredible innovations that were happening in a city that had the freedom to try everything because it, you know, could only go up. And um, we really thought this was a Phoenix from the Ashes story. And what it turned out to be is something much more complicated. Mm -hmm. It was, a, it's a story about consequences and consequences for decisions that were made 30, 40, mm -hmm. 60 years ago. This is what these decisions looks like now. So it's not, no, it's not a it's not a film about the past. It's not a film about the future. It's a film about right now, across the country. Mm. You know, it's 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 about a moment in time, a mood. You know, um, and that is what we were hoping to capture. This you know sort of national anxiety, this mood, and um, give it a visual, give it make it three dimensional. Mm. And that's interesting because space and time kind of overlap with the concept of utopia, which is both, we, it's commonly seen as something that is, is great and, and aspirational, but it's also no place, like literally no place, like it does not exist. Right. And I'm interested why you chose that, especially considering some of the more nostalgic components of, of people that live there, where they're, the radio show where they're talking about the memories before playing or just after playing cool in the game. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're asking why Detropia? Yeah, and then also how that Where plays with nostalgia from? as well that right. runs through it. Well, I mean, it's really interesting. Detroit <laughs> is a place that is so incredibly nostalgic. Mm. I've never met people that so are so obsessed with the past, mm. even when they're in their 20s. Mm. You know, like Crystal, who's like, dreams of this place when it was, you know, Mo Motown was at the height of its... When it was banging. Yeah, when it was banging. <laughs> and it's just really interesting. It's a lot, it's a lot of um, the way they dress. And it's just a very nostalgic place. Um, and um, we were playing around with the concept of utopia and the name Detropia, which we invented, mm -hmm. um, because the American dream was supposed to be utopia. I mean, that was, that's, that's why everyone was like, you know, God, we got it going on. We, we actually created utopia. You can, you know, you never go hungry. You're never cold. You're always comfortable. Um, you always know where your next meal's coming from. Your kids are going to do better than you. It's kind of, it's, it's utopia. Mm. Um, so we wanted to use the word and kind of leave it up to the viewer. Detroit, was it a utopia? Can it be a utopia again? Is it a, a dystopia? Uh, will it con will it continue being a dystopia? It's something that you can kind of play with in terms of the symbolism of the film, which mm. we didn't want to spoon feed. We just want people to kind of figure it out themselves. I mean, it's not something. It's not a black and white situation. It could be all those things mm. at the same time. So um, yeah, it was just something that we felt suited 
the kind of movie we ended up making. And, and the kind of interstitial uh, facts that come up, what I find interesting is the way that they are, like the camera's deliberately moving, but the, the, the kind of typeface stays there. It's like it's inhabiting the space mm -hmm. where there aren't people, there are now these numbers that uh -huh. exist. And I'm curious what went into that decision. Again, mm -hmm. you, you interpret it in a very <laughs> fabulous and artistic way. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we just were using some of these stats just to give like basic context mm. and um, wanted them to be working in tandem to something that made sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I like that you gave it an extra layer. Makes well, us, you make us seem really smart. Well, when the camera moves, you expect the text to move because you expect that it was literally just placed over top, but right, right but it's static and it right, has right. this interesting visual right, effect. Right, right. Well, I guess, you know, part of it is like, it was actually, they were married to each other, yeah. but drove us crazy, so we <laughs> stopped it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was. It's part of like you want it to feel like there's some energy. There. Yeah, that's it's a living. It's a living thing. Mm. This city. And there's also a, a few moments where the outside world, particularly China, kind of is used as a counterpoint. I'm interested in that specifically. Kind of was that like the Mikado that was? Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Like, which is obviously a very problematic uh, text as far as like Britain uh -huh. specifically interpreting right. China right. and how that plays into the the electric car as well. Right. Um, well, it's funny. Uh, China ended up being kind of like the boogeyman there. People are talk, talk about it a lot. It's really a symbol of a place that, you know, expedited the demise of this place. So, tough for you. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was really interesting. All roads seemed to lead to China yeah. in, in Detroit. And um, we, we wanted to be careful with that. We didn't want to imply that all the issues that the city is facing, all the you know struggles, it is because of China. Mm. Um, it's one of so many things. Globalization is one, you know, and it it's it's all compounded. There's so many things. So people kind of have been asking us. So what was it? It's just it's the culmination of everything mm. that has turned this place into what it is today. Um, but um, yeah, it was interesting. The scrappers talked about China. There's a Chinese um, electric vehicle at the at the auto show. It just seemed to be on people's minds there. Mm. And uh, and finally, there's kind of this move towards an entrepreneurial, small entrepreneurial spirit as a potential, one of the many potential solutions. And it's interesting that it's a film that was partially financed by Kickstarter, so I'm right. interesting how, interested in how the production of the film kind of in some ways mirrored that. Well, actually the Kickstarter paid for the distribution. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got grants. Yeah. We got grants. Well, it's just another good mirror because you have Ford that's sponsoring the opera right. as well, right? Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, Ford, the, f um, the auto company, has nothing to do with okay. Ford the Foundation. They've divorced themselves. Okay. People always ask us about it. They're like, "Did they have creative control?" And I'm like, "They have nothing to do with each other, guys." Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it was true. We kind of took a, a page from our own book mm. when we decided that we were going to distribute it ourselves, mm. and we were going to raise the money. And we were going to go to, you know, social, social networking format, social, um, you know, fundraising. Um, it was really fabulous, and it was something that we walked away and said, you know what, one of, the, one of the lessons we learned from this film is, you know, entrepreneurship is the new way of America. Mm -hmm. You cannot rely 
on big companies to support mm. you anymore. It's just it's that's being phased out, um, you know, in this new world. So why don't we do it ourselves? <laughs> um, and you know, we were inspired by that, and we did it, and here I am in Toronto. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, I really appreciate What's going it. On in there, guys. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Someone needs like um, we gotta call the ambulance. <laughs>